0: Today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have... What do we have, Graham Goodwin? What do we have for people? The week
1: in sports cars.
0: Wow, that's a very American voice from my <laughs> British brother. We do indeed. We have the week in sports cars. And, you know, it's a grayish day, rainy day here in Northern California, Graham. And that makes me so happy. Why? Well, the sunshine, beautiful West Coast state here in America, we haven't had a lot of that. So, yes, indeed, rain is making me happy here. Tell us about the general environment where you are in the UK. Why? I don't know. I feel like talking about it to start the show.
1: (laughs) It's been kind of a crappy day here. Um, Very gray, rainy, on and off, Uh, Husky's had muddy paws, Um, so he's not enjoyed having his Paws White is actually asleep and upside down behind me on the husky couch in um, what is still the conservatoire uh, here at uh, Goodwin Towers. But yeah, not particularly brilliant weather uh, after coming home from um, uh, from Bahrain. But uh, that means that uh, you just have to get in the office, get cosy, and monkey type because uh, there's a lot to write about in this close season. As uh, listeners are about to hear, lots going on.
0: Yeah, and we should tell folks. We spent fifteen minutes before we started recording talking about all the stories and whatnot that we're gonna get to. Throw in here, if your gorgeous husky, Oliver, ever decides to take up Oliver? a career. Oscar? Did I say Oliver? Sure. Uh Oscar, uh decides to take up a career as a blues musician, Muddy Paws. That's a great name Muddy right Paws. there. Yes. All right, we're gonna say thank you as always to you, dear listeners, dear Question submitters. We're also going to say thanks to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports dot com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, daily dot com. It's the little thing that Graham does, and also as we did to close the show last week, want to dedicate what we do here and give a massive heartfelt thank you and expression of care and. Thoughts for one of our listeners, Lynn Henderson Gale, who yeah. sent us a note uh, mentioning how she and her husband uh, really have enjoyed listening to the podcast for many, many years. Her sure. husband, Jim, passed, unfortunately, just a little while ago due to complications from COVID. So, Lynn, want to let you know that we continue to hold you in our hearts and hope that this rough time heading into the holidays. Is a little bit, a little bit less uh, of a a blow as the days go on. Never, never something easy, but um, being a part of this little community of ours where we get to talk about the sport that we love, which you and your husband played a role in, um, we're just going to continue thinking about you and trying to lift you up in our prayers as well. Amen, brother. So, where should we go, Mr. Goodwin, knowing that you are the official selector? ...of the four categories we work each week.
1: Well, I thought we'd go with chaos theory, and since there was plenty of chaos at the 12 Hours of Sebring, oh. let's start with him, sir. Because, boy, was there some chaos there.
0: The uh, the word that as a child I pronounced as chaos, until corrected by my mother. <laughs> and that's not a joke. <laughs> where, uh, where are we
1: leading off it's in it's the coming, chaos theory? Yes. Well, we've got a number of questions... Uh, one of which has actually been answered elsewhere, but we'll come to that in a moment, about Ganassi. You broke this story, uh, what feels like, a week ago now.
0: A year ago, been, it feels like.
1: Indeed. Ganassi <laughs> coming back to the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship with a Cadillac DPI. And we've got a variety of questions. Tom Bacon, Rishi Deshpanda, uh, Stephen Gate, uh, Josh Ridgen. Uh, or with, uh, 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 you know, variations on a theme. So we'll go through these. Tom Bacon, who are the drivers, he says, mooted for Ganassi's return to IMSA DPI?
0: Yes. Uh, Tom, (laughs) that's a great question. It's a question without answers, as I understand it. I know of many drivers who have reached out to the team. I may or may not have helped when asked. Um would say that this is rather interestingly a question that isn't as easily solved as we would hoped on November 18th, 2020, with the new season, uh, the roar before the 24, due to kick off in just a little over two months. Uh, The timing of this, Tom, is the reason why we are not uh, in a position to be able to say, here's full-timer number one, here's full-timer number two. We absolutely expect Chip Ganassi Racing's new IndyCar Series champion, now a six-time champion, Scott Dixon, to be part of this program, having just spent 2020 with Wayne Taylor and his Cadillac. Uh, so we have someone who is highly versed and experienced in this new chassis that they, are, uh, that they just took receipt of today. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but the timing of this, Tom, that's why we don't have ready names to offer because due to the late timing of this deal coming together, the majority of folks that you might think of as leading candidates, lead the team, lead them to championships, etc., cetera, they're signed up. <laughs> they're driving for other teams. And again, this is a, it might sound odd to say, well, Hey, wait a minute. Uh, Accurate team Penske is, is shutting down. Where, where does the timing fall with all that? Well, Uh, Their four full-timers were well-sorted before the uh, Ganassi and Cadillac deal came together. So nothing doing there. Uh, Of those who might be available from Mazda, for example, knowing that they're downsizing from two full-time to one next year, um, still an active role of those two drivers, that being Jonathan Bomarito is going to be the endurance driver. And Tristan Nunez, we know, is meant to be the fourth driver for Daytona, but is open to search elsewhere uh, for rides, just not competing against Mazda. Well, that takes those two off of the table. So uh, you look at Action Express, they just announced, Graham, that both uh, Felipe Nasr and Pippo Durrani will be back full-time and work down the list. So the other question which comes up is, well, hey, uh, and this is, I believe, Hrishi is one of his questions, uh, or his question, He's topic of Wayne Taylor racing. Well, they've got two guys, right, who just almost won the championship in a Cadillac. They're not returning, and Ryan Briscoe, and as our pal A.J. Almendinger pronounces it on the uh, broadcast, Renger van der Zander, uh, Those two, certainly Cadillac experts, wouldn't they be easy to slide right in at least from what I've heard, there hasn't been a lot of interest there. So that might not be uh, a thing. So this is going to be an interesting one to follow, Tom. It's going to need an answer soon because certainly this is a team that's going to want to get out and start testing with this new car to them and start building chemistry and just they've got a lot of work to do in a short amount of time now and finding the right drivers to do this. Uh, Certainly going to be a big thing. Last item that I've heard, and it would make sense, is with COVID, at least here in the U.S., raging like never before, but also, depending on where you are in the rest of the world, possibly raging as well, uh, we're not sure what next season is going to be like, Graham. Obviously, nor can any racing series say we know exactly how it's going to play out. Our championship will... Uh, be executed, travel will be no issue. I mean, this whole season of IMSA got shut down (laughs) after one round. Border crossings and you name it, everything ground to a halt as a result of COVID. And the reason that IMSA had to hit the huge pause button and not get back to racing until July, by and large, is it took a long time to try and get uh, those who are in charge of border crossings and international travel here in the U.S., to permit international drivers to come here and ply their trade. We've mentioned the number before. IMSA says approximately 40% of its paddock travels across some form of border via car or plane to get here to work and drive and do whatever in IMSA. Well, uh, I would have to say that with the big question marks, Graham, for if and how COVID might impact our world as this new season. If the season begins that having drivers who are based here in the U S where there's no question about if you fly back home to wherever <laughs> are we going to be able to get you back? Is it a 14 day quarantine? Do you miss the race? These kinds of things where I think a lot of teams, and I would expect Ganassi to be part of this in their deals with drivers for next year, probably going to filter out those who would say, Nope, Uh, I'm not going to base myself in the U.S. for the entirety of the season, Uh, whether it's I have a family and kids and whatnot. I can't do that. I think that might be something that takes some drivers off of the potential list. So uh, some things that have nothing to do with driving that might actually narrow the field of potential candidates. But there's no shortage of awesome drivers, just do they fit some of the criteria that would make sense for this.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those drivers that certainly will not be basing themselves permanently in the United States with driving careers, brought up by Stephen Gates, and that is Juan Pablo Montoya, because he's got another drive, has he not?
0: He does, yeah, and was sitting on that for a while. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I love the idea of (laughs) JPM driving for Chip again, just creating nightmares for everybody that he goes up against this sadly steven is victim of timing uh jpm's deal to drive for dragon speed full season next year in wclmp2 done before the ganassi cadillac thing was consummated so would have been perfect truly would have been perfect but it's that time thing again my friend
1: yep we will see Uh, Which leaves the last question in this uh, quartet, which comes from Josh Ridgen. Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott with NASCAR champion Chase Elliott announced to be running the Rolex with Jimmy Johnson. What car will this be in? Ganassi DPI, Corvette, something else entirely?
0: Piquio. That (laughs) that would be awesome. Um, So Josh got into this a little bit in the Ganassi confirmation story that I wrote on racer.com. Happy to repeat it here. Sadly, this yet again comes back to timing. Um, When this whole Hendrick Motorsport link-up with Action Express Racing came together with a Cadillac, there was no Ganassi Cadillac program. Jimmy, however, had signed to drive for Chip in IndyCar, and that was the only plan that they had. Uh, In the background, there was this second action express racing car that i had been hearing about uh, i've heard it's going to be the number 48 which has been jimmy's number in nascar for a million years uh, i have been hearing about this second action express cadillac coming for the rolex Twenty-four daytona and had heard that jimmy was going to be the quote leader of that car or you know the the first driver named but primarily this is going to be the one that he headlines um have only continued to hear that that is the case. I think we're pretty safe in stating that as a fact. Uh, the other thing that I mentioned in the article was some newer things that I heard, and I'm not saying these are factual. I've just heard them, and there have been rumors going around that in that number 48, uh, a certain Simon Paginot, uh Simon Paginot, uh could be one of Jimmy's teammates in that number 48 Cadillac, and also have heard... That a certain Kamui Kobayashi, who I think, Graham, demonstrated at the last one or two Rolex 24s that there was nobody faster in DPI than uh, this rather amazingly talented Japanese ace. So, have heard Jimmy, Simon, and Kamui, at least. I'm not sure who might be the fourth driver there, but that would indeed be at Action Express. So this is going to be one of those fun competition things, though, where, hey, all of a sudden, now Ganassi, in the same Cadillac family, gets to go up against their new driver, Uh, that being Mr. seven-time NASCAR champ Jimmy Johnson. So that's what I understand to be the case here. I've only heard, Josh, about Chase Elliott, the brand-new NASCAR Cup champion, being in the number 31 Wheelin Engineering entry uh, amid... What, Mike Conway, uh, Felipe, and people. So, yeah, that's what I've heard. We'll see if all these things get confirmed or if we do get confirmation. I'm a complete idiot and was wrong all along. Um, and knowing that we're going to move away from the Ganassi thing, let me just throw in real quickly the uh, the topic of the Ganassi chassis. I uh, got a call this morning or a voicemail this morning from a, a good pal of ours, Ricardo Junco's, who said, hey, I'm literally in the midst of unloading our Cadillac DPI here at Ganassi and all the pit equipment, all the, everything goes with it. So we're able to move our entire IMSA program, uh, out the door. So I'm just dropping it all off right now. And so it's funny. He said, so I can finally say our IMSA program was a success because I sold it all, <laughs> and I've got my money. Yeah, basically, I got my money back, and uh, that's that, to me, is a big success. So uh, they went through the wars in the one year uh, that they did, bought a brand-new Cadillac DPI VR, raced it in, what was that, 2018, uh, wrote the tub off in a crash at MoSport, a.k.a. Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, um, replaced that, With a brand-new tub, I think did, what, one race after that? Petit Le Mans. Maybe they did another one. But basically ended up cutting their season short, having to do massive rebuild with a lot of brand-new parts, and did, I think, one race. So the car that Ganassi is getting is, while it was used at many races, the the vehicle, as delivered, somewhat low mile. So, uh, yeah, that should be a good thing for them.
1: Good stuff. Right, moving away from uh, DPI for the moment, we'll come back to it in just a short while. A couple of questions on GTLM. That's, again, another one from Rishi Dishpande. Uh, does IMSA have a contingency plan if BMW do decide to go insurance only in GTLM? He says he's not keen on seeing a class consisting of just two Corvettes for most of the year.
0: Yeah. What I understand, I think we might have gotten into this on the last episode, and granted, we just did that episode a couple days ago, but I think we got into that, Rishi. uh, but I'll, I'll recap a little bit. As I understand things, there is a plan, call it a, you mentioned, is there a contingency plan? I'd say yes and no. Uh, I think whatever we end up getting next year, in terms of full-time GTLM entries, which right now could be three between the two Corvettes and what we expect from Scuderia Corsa moving up uh, with a Ferrari there. I think we just need to accept that unless there are, what would we think, Graham? Two more full-time entries, maybe a, th- yeah. a three more full-time to get us at least to where we were this sees this past season of six full-time unless somewhere somehow full-time entries appear to repopulate gtlm make it you know six isn't great but it's not terrible i think unless there's some sort of change like that Rishi, quickly i believe 2021 as we've written about spoken about etc is going to be the swan song for gtlm in at least over here obviously in europe it's called gte with both pro and am levels but for here i think it's going to be the finale for the category the thing that could change that as i mentioned would be an uptick in full season entries as i have heard and i don't want to say that this is a fact It's just what I've heard, and I've heard it from some fairly smart people. Graham, you and I have discussed this offline, Mm -hmm. and I think we even did it during the show uh, over the weekend. As I've heard, BMW's trigger point of either being full-time or part-time is going to be based on size of GTLM next year, the predicted size. And if it is full-stocked and healthy, then I think we might have them full-time. The anticipation, though, is it will not. It might be half the size, full-time size of what it is now. No matter what Daytona looks like, with Proton having one car out there, which, Graham, you had a great discussion with Christian yeah. Reed about that. You'll fill us in about that. But even if we have five, six cars at Daytona, seven, eight, whatever, we know that when we get to the regular season, it's, go, it's, it's expected to be a small number. That would then... That is why BMW would be looking at just doing the NAEC, which is actually no longer an acronym used, but that's why they would be looking at doing the four endurance races, all with a plan to pivot towards this GT3 Pro Pro class, where the factories are fully permitted and sanctioned to play, and the existing, uh, just call it standard GT Daytona class like we have right now, which is by regulation, mandated to be pro-am. So barring this spike in full-time GTLM entries, which no one can really find a way for that to be a reality, and we believe that's going to be the thing that causes BMW to say, okay, uh, we'll be here in a limited capacity next year uh, while preparing to come back full-time the following year with this new... Uh, GT3 Pro Pro Dynamic in IMSA. So that's where I understand things to be, Rishi. Um, It's the classic case of give us a reason, right? We're we're just give us a reason. We'll be back full time Uh, next year, the following years, whatever. But if you can't do that, then maybe we need to spend 2021, frankly, getting ready for something new and different and cool. But uh, we're going to focus our energies on the following year, where we expect to be able to play in a larger, more significant factory-based class, just one that's different than GTLM.
1: We've got a couple more questions about GTLM. You're quite right. The next one comes from Kevin Perez-Frederico. It says, Hey, Marshall, seeing that Proton Squad will pick up the X-Core Autosports factory RSR19 cards, will they compete for all four Insurance Cup rounds next season, and uh, also ask a question about Mazda and the possibility of someone picking up the second DPI Mazda to compete next season, maybe under it. the sports or Dyson, take advantage of that custom works program with Mazda. Let's go to Porsche first.
0: Yeah, as, as I understand it, I've asked more than once, hoping to get a better answer each time, right? Uh, <laughs> hadn't worked out that way, Kev, so as I understand it, as I've been told multiple times, they are planning on doing one race with yep. one car, and that's it. We can r- logically assume, Graham, that IMSA has Christian reed on, on speed dial 20 times a day. Stay here and do both. Stay here and do both cars. Do the whole season. As you understand, having had a, a deep sit-down and conversation yep. with Christian, it really is... One car, one race, moving on. Uh,
1: that, that's it. I mean, that's my understanding. So uh, the one bit of uh, misunderstanding, I guess, because we were coming at the same story from different angles, was um, that it does seem as if it's going to be one of the X-Core cars that is campaigned at uh, Daytona, not one of the new customer cars of which Proton Competition have. ordered fought. 27. <laughs> um, now, there's two or three things to add to that. Uh, this means, first and foremost, that the current customer-spec cars, the 2017-spec cars, will all be parked uh, for the coming season, that we won't be seeing, or rather more to the point, hearing those cars out and racing again. Ten customer-spec cars with the revised rear exhaust. That, that, that This, by the way, it's not been asked, but I'll explain anyway. Why is it, or how is it they can get away with... Um, a customer spec car that's not the same as the factory car, that's because they rehomologated that within period. And it's all to do with noise. Um, in, in particular, uh, very many of the kind of places that these cars are either raced or tested, major issues with a car that's as cacophonous as the 911 RSR was, major issues about where you could run them. So this was something that had to come forward. So. Um, if you've read the story on Delhi Sports Car post Portimao and seen the comparison video, it doesn't quite get across the point that the 2020-2021 spec customer car has just got that—it's got that lack of bite at the top end. It doesn't hasn't got that ping, as I would call it, at the top end. It is slightly quieter, but it still sounds glorious. Uh, but four of those cars are going to Proton competition for their Elms and WEC. Um, uh, programs. The, the reason I raised the old ra- raised the old cars, though, MP, is that uh, talking to Christine, he said, no, nope, they will go effectively back to their owners. They will keep uh, the car, the um, the uh, proton car that won Le Mans with the bodywork from that car. That will be kept uh, as the valuable piece of uh, you know investment that it is now. But all those seventeen cars, twenty seventeen cars, parked. Um, and my guess is that's the point. Uh, of buying those two EMSA uh, cars is to effectively um, act as go-betweens for either the family collection or the collectors for whom they represent. They effectively now are going to be you know, valuable investments. It's as simple as that. But at the moment, there was no sign whatsoever uh, in the conversation I had with Christian that there'd be the prospect of uh, the team running those cars. And the other thing to remember here is that um, the next opportunity post-Daytona is, of course, Sebring, and Proton have already got two cars running in the WC race there. Christian Reed, bless him, is the last man standing. He is the ever-present man, has, has started every single WC race since the very first race in 2012, and they've got their hands full with a pretty packed programme. Um, could they? Might they? There'd have to be a pretty good reason uh attached with some dollars that come with it the one thing i would add here mp is that what's been the evolution of the programs with dempsey proton racing and proton competition and for that matter with the other key gte um customer teams is this is where we're now seeing the emerging young talents uh, on the porsche factory junior factory roster uh, coming into endurance racing for yeah. the first time. It's not happening in GT3, it's happening in GTE. So we had, for instance, at Bahrain, three of the top four in Porsche Super Cup were all on the grid for uh, the final race of the FIWC, Jackson Evans, Dylan Pereira, Larry Ten Vaud, uh for a variety of reasons. But uh, this, there's an outside possibility, but it was certainly not something that is currently on the menu for Proton Competition, uh, when I got to speak to him in the uh, aftermath of your story. Rock on. Uh, moving forward, we've got one more question about um, the GT side of things in IMSA, and it comes with a bit of happier news uh, from our extended uh, weekend Sports Cars and Marshallbrook podcast uh, family. It comes from Trevor Gagola, the Broccoli Club president, he says here. Yes. And he brings... Brilliant news that their first baby girl, Piper, just arrived to the world on the 13th. Congratulations to the Gogola family. She's been watching the endurance races with Trevor this weekend. Bahrain and Sebring, incredible races, he says, helped me to survive the hospital visit. Now the question, IMSA and WEC, with DTM going to advanced GT3 spec cars, I'll come back to that bit in a minute, is 2022 the time for GT, GTLM, GTE, maybe to go to that formula if it works well in Germany, uh, maybe allow that new spec to be pro GT3 cars, have the standard GT3 spec be GTD. First thing I'll add is that those plans for DTM to go GT3 extra are not going to happen. They will be standard GT3 cars, and the simple reason for that is you mess with those things and they become very, very expensive. Well, sorry, even more expensive than they currently are. So DTM will be going standard GT3. They did look a while ago uh, when it became obvious that um, class one, the current the current, GT, uh, the current DTM spec, did look at GTE being a formula that might uh, go to DTM. Um, but GT3 it will be, and it will be customer spec. I genuinely don't see, with the exception of maybe a more liberal um, balance of performance there being radically much that's going to happen for GT3 or GTD Pro. What think you, Marshall Pruitt?
0: Yeah, uh, the reality I would say here is <laughs> IMSA would be in a pretty wonderful place if it were able to observe another championship go to the uh, – as. Uh, It was phrased, it enhanced GT3. Um, No disrespect to IMSA, but yeah, I would say that knowing the resources that they have available, uh, if they're not having to figure this whole thing out on their own and establish the pro level and pro-am level of GT3, we would expect, I should say expect, I mean, I guess we would assume, Graham, that we would not be talking about the same identical vehicle specifications for both just as we have a uh, difference in lap time between GTLM and GTD slash GT3, I'm not sure what the changes would be. I don't know what the number would be. Is it two seconds a lap faster? Where do they make that speed uh, to differentiate between the two? I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, we're we would we're talking assumptions right now as to what IMSA mm-hmm. might do, but uh would assume for sure that if there was another series running, call it enhanced GT3s, uh, uncorking some more performance—that would be a great learning opportunity for IMSA to uh, hopefully get it right or close to right when they move. We expect them to move towards this in 2022.
1: A bit of a hashtag, wait and see. Yes, uh, with an as yet, well, it's it's an as yet, you know, unknown quantity as to whether and when the big red button that says change plans is going to have to be pushed, isn't it? A um, couple more questions before you get to uh, do a bit of a grab bag of the remainder. Nikolai B. Yay, he says it's driving standards time, the way set police issues arising from the lack thereof. This year, penalties for contact and driving standards, he says, has seemingly been handed out in what looks like a disorganised and inconsistent manner that's hard to justify by race control. Let's just be rather running through what's quite a lengthy question. Where are you on this one, Pete?
0: I didn't see much that jumped out to me as, Oh my goodness. Uh, why did IMSA swallow the proverbial whistle and not, you know, uh, call foul or penalty on whatever the thing that seemed to tip folks over a bit during Sebring. I'm not saying there's only one item, but one that seemed to jump out heavily was, uh, the contact between the Mazda and, uh, Scott Dixon and the Wayne Taylor Cadillac that, uh, Dixie ended up spinning off, and if they the Mazda did get penalized, I apologize. I don't think they did. But that seemed to be the thing where I uh, saw a number of folks start uh, really letting loose on the good old tweeters and social media about what the hell, uh, you know, what is a penalty and what isn't a penalty and so on. You know, my feelings on overregulating regulating race and Graham, and dear listeners, you probably do as well. If it's egregious, Yes. Pippo Durrani intentionally firing his car into the side of Juan Montoya's when there was no gap, uh, at all. I mean, that was just payback, retribution, red mist, whatever idiocy on his part threw away the championship for his team and as well, Cadillac and the manufacturers, uh, title bid. Um, yeah, penalized totally. Uh, Hey, the guy tried to pull off a pass and the Mazda, and geez, tried to back out of it and didn't quite get it right? Was Dixon also, you know, fully aware, or you know, paying enough attention in his mirrors to see what was taking place to maybe give the guy a little bit of wider berth, not to give him the corner, but just give himself some more space? I'm guessing questions like these might have run through Bo Barfield's mind in race control and said, eh, "If if I'm going to penalize that one, then let's just have everyone come to pit lane right now and had do some sort of stop and go or drive through because i'm sure that those kinds of hits maybe ones that weren't captured uh as it happened live in the broadcast i mean <laughs> just walk up and down pit lane after the race look at all the cars knowing that some of them have had brand-new body panels uh, installed because the ones that started the race were destroyed or smashed or otherwise. And I don't know if any of the cars after this specific Sebring 12 Hours, which was just pure chaos, uh, the, the, the 12 Hours of Chaos, man, it was so knock-down, drag-out nasty that I don't think a single car would have finished the race without something bent, broken, twisted, or having fallen off. So that's not an excuse. It's just saying if you have a race that is relatively clean and then there's the, well, that was really stupid, uh, why did you drive into the side of the car and spin them out or whatever? Pretty easy to call. When it's more the little ticky-tack things where you go, okay, yeah, that wasn't the smartest thing, but it wasn't the worst thing. Um, you have to pick and choose. And I would say if I was in Bo's situation and I'm not defending him, I'm just putting, inserting myself there. Uh, I might follow a similar mindset because either we're going to be calling penalties nonstop for all the little things that happen, or we say, okay, uh, y'all are adults. If you want to take each other out and you want to, you know, or I should say, if you want to play rough, well, you might win this exchange with whatever car you're trying to get by. Probably gonna lose it later. So maybe uh maybe we handle the big stuff and we will just let the universe handle the others. So I think that might have been the mindset a little bit. And I also know Bo stylistically, Nikolai is not someone who's always looking to blow the whistle and uh drop the hammer on people. So uh it might be the general mindset of how he does the job that might not fit with your sensibilities, but Uh, let's invoke our first Juan Montoya-ism. It is what it is.
1: Indeed. Um, I'm going to finish up before you get to do a bit of grab bag with a couple of questions here. They're quite varied questions, but about DPI cars. One comes from Nate Dechweiler. It says, with Penske handing over the Acuras to Wayne Teller Racing and uh, Mayor Shank Racing, got me thinking, do you know how many examples... Of each dpi exist Are teams running new cars each season or is it the same chassis from year to year do they have race cars and backup test cars or just an extra tub and a pile of spares i'm sure it varies from team to team but just wondering how many total dpis there are or have been i'll add my little bit here mazda the Multimatic side of things certainly have or at least had a dpi in the uk their test car in the uk where a lot of the Multimatic um, testing ability is. And I seem to recall before, I think this season, that when that handover came, MP, to Multimatic, I think that came with two new chassis. I think that happened at that point. But I may be wrong. I don't know if you know different.
0: Not sure on the total count with the RT24P, uh, Nate. I mean, it would be very interesting to know how many total DPIs there are. It's just not something that I track. Um, I can tell you that, and I know that I, I failed to get to uh, Kevin Frederico's second item of if a team wanted to run a second Mazda, how easy would it be or you know, how feasible. The thing I've been told directly by Nelson Cosgrove, who's the, the director of Mazda Motorsports, is we will be running a single car next year. We will not be running a second, nor will anyone else be running a second because of spares and costs okay. of spares. And it's not that they lack spares. It's the fact that however many spares they have, whether it's hashtag front noses, um, uh, rear wing and fender assemblies, all the various spares that they have, I would say their approach is one based on time and counting back from Mm -hmm. what we expect to be two more years of the current DPI 1.0 formula. So whether they stay with one car beyond 2021 or go back to two, whatever it might be, I think knowing the vast financial expenditure required by every DPI manufacturer, but Mazda in particular being the smallest of the three right now, I think they're just... Back timing things, Graham, and saying, mm-hmm. okay, uh, at Sebring, we're probably going to have to replace a this or a that. Uh, at here, you know, let's look at how many spares we go through in an average year, built in some sort of pad comfort level to that, and assess how many spares we have in hand right now. And to save money and to hold on to what we have this is probably the amount of consumables we might need over the next two full seasons of racing. Therefore, in the interest of, they're obviously downsizing from two cars to one, so not to say the dumb thing that we all know, but they wouldn't be doing that if budget wasn't a slight issue. Um, It would then make sense for them to say, we're going to hold on to what we have, and if we ride off a car and we destroy a tub, well, guess what? We've got the other car that we're not running sitting here right here to use and we might have another tub as well that's nearby and we've got a bunch of stuff we're looking at all the non-on-track racing parts and pieces of this rt24p program as consumables that could very well be used over the next two years therefore we are not trying to put another car in the grid and frankly shrink that pool and potentially have to uh, spend a lot more money to rebuild that inventory. So that's that, uh, Nate okay. coming back to your question. No, uh, teams are not doing new cars each year. Um, I do know that in the Acura deal, because Acura told us the, uh, Shank racing and Wayne Taylor racing are picked up one each of the two Acura team Penske air X05. So those were left behind in the paddock, saw a photo of Ollie Plaw under the MSR tent, with uh, the championship-winning GTD, Acura NSX, GT3, and uh, what will be his new uh, DPI next year. So those were dropped off. So uh, that's what I would expect them to be testing with soon. And we do know that as part of the deal that Acura has also commissioned two new uh, ARX05s to be uh, built and delivered by Areca, and those will be their, quote, spare cars. So... Uh, that's that. We know that Wayne Taylor Racing, you know, has had a primary and a spare. It's not uncommon for teams to have primaries and spares, uh, except for maybe the privateers. Uh, I don't believe JDC Miller Motorsports is sitting on more than the two cars that they have. I could be wrong, but at least in the factory level, Nate, yeah, uh, you can count on all factory efforts to have a primary and a spare.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, just to, to read across from the European uh, perspective, and particularly something like LMP2. Uh, when we get into the WC, you've got a lot of flyaway races. There are a number of the teams that do have uh, spare chassis. Uh, oddly enough, one of those numbers came my way um, this past weekend, uh, talking to uh, Sam Haydnett at Joja Sports and uh, the uh, confirmation they'll be looking to uh, run two cars, believed to be both under the Joja Sports uh name in the WEC, alongside, we believe, two in the United Autosports um, in LMP2, and probably two to be run by TDS Racing, one as Racing Team Medellin, the other one as Real Team. The surprise to me, though, um, is how many Orica 07 chassis of the 54 that have now been built um, are actually in the, uh, the, uh, the ownership of Jota Sports, and that number is eight. They have eight of those chassis. Uh, so they do run uh, multiple programmes. Uh, I'm expecting to see Jojo Sport confirm an Asia Le Mans series programme for LMP2 and a European Le Mans series programme for LMP2 in the coming year as the the budgets kind of even out, if you like. Uh, but, yeah, um, on the odd occasion, you'll see those spare chassis around at Daytona, back of the hauler if uh, you get a chance to look inside there. But um, but not huge numbers of spares kicking around uh, in the current environment, the, the the expansion on this one, by the way, comes from Jamie Bender, who says, with the two Acura DPI's going to MSR and WTR after the finish of Sebring, can you explain what the process looks like? Did Wayne Taylor bring an extra truck to load everything up? Did he buy the entire hauler and everything for the car? And then would he sell his entire setup to Ganassi? Well, we've covered that bit off. That's the Uncas setup that's going uh, Jamie says he's not sure how specific haulers are to each individual race car if they're typically part of a sale
0: as I understand it Jamie uh, the Meyerschank racing folks would have had ample space to bring home their new DPI without an extra transporter being required because they left behind the two Acura NSXs uh, that they just campaigned so those are going to home one with gradient racing and one with compass racing so there certainly would have been space the transporter to roll in one acura dpi as for wayne's team i don't know uh very confident they brought their cadillac home so that might have been a situation where a second uh truck and trailer uh were dispatched for them to bring that home there
1: did they have the super trofeo on the um on the bill last weekend
0: yes but though that's totally separate transporters um okay yeah and i believe those are administered out of a different shop so okay yeah let me um let me rip through one or two others very quickly and then we need to jump right into uh uh weck aslam elms and aco york bailey wick uh let's see matt neidert the Motorsports Press is writing about Mazda's win at Sebring as their, quote, first major endurance race win. However, they won the Sale 6-Hour at the Glen in 2019. Why would that not be considered a major endurance race, despite being part of IMSA's Michelin Endurance Cup championship? Also, would you lump Petit Le Mans into the same less-than-major category as the Sale 6-Hour? Would not lump Petit Le Mans into that. Uh, no. And I would say I'm in total agreement with... Sebring being their first major endurance win. That's not, no disrespect to Salem's, that place isn't known as a car breaker. That place isn't known as, oh, how do you get to the finish of that thing? Eh, it's six hours. Six hours is good. Love it. It's amazing track. Everything, all positive. Eh, Sebring, that's a feat. That That is something due to its history. The fact that it's America's first major endurance event uh, that was held in 1953 or whatever it was i mean this is history this is and again i know that the sailing's been around for a long time but uh how's this hey did you hear mazda won a six-hour race at watkins glen said nobody who gives a crap or will really remember it uh hey did you hear mazda won the mobile one 12 hours of sebring yeah, that has weight, gravity, importance, history, and everything behind it. Other thing I'd just throw in here, Matt, is what was the Mazda narrative for so long? Yeah, they're quick. They sure blow up a lot, too. And this is before the current DPI. This is going back to an LMP2. This is going, uh, when they were running the P2, this is going back to the diesel P2 program as well. Always fast. Always fragile could never get over the hurdle. Obviously, a Rolex 24 win is going to be, would be an even bigger thing. Finished on the podium this year for the first time. I mean, that's that was huge. But yeah, Sebring win, that's something where uh, we're going to remember that one for a really long time, uh, probably at the expense of what they did uh, with that first big win uh, for them at Salem's. Uh, What else? Uh, Luke Birkin, you're asking about Hyundai. We spoke about that, I believe, the last episode. We did. uh, Looking at pulling the plug on their WC team. Uh, Does this confirm Hyundai's intention to build a DPI? No. Uh, Just because a team decides to not do one thing, it doesn't mean they're doing another. Um, They've been intending to do DPI and hopefully will for a couple of years now. So, fully independent of the WRC as we have discussed many times on the show. And uh lance snyder great question did something happen during the sebring race that (laughs) warrants discussion (laughs) heard it was quite pedestrian i love you lance don't ever change uh and then you know jamie bender you threw in another one i just like it because it's a little spicy and we'll close on this one uh ryan Terps, you also mentioned two class leaders uh being innocently taken out um or by the end of sebring here uh, can you recall anything like that? No, it was just a race of, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Everyone everyone is failing, getting hit, breaking, you name it. Uh, who's going to win? Um, Jamie, we're going to close here with yours. Have only watched IMSA for about three years now. One thing I've been missing is finding a driver to root against. Enter Pippo Durrani after his tussle <laughs> with Ricky Taylor at Road Atlanta and then the way he raced JPM at Sebring he comes across as a whiny hypocrite how he expects others to race him in comparison to how he races them is vastly different watching the almost instant karma of him taking his team out of championship contention brought me great joy <laughs> jesus Jamie. so much so that my ear old daughter asked me dad why are you yelling at the tv <laughs> Just another layer of love for sports car racing. With all this being said, what are some of the best heated hatred rivalries between drivers Ooh. in the past? I mean, we got one of them's our sponsor, right? I mean, the most heated hatred rivalry between drivers. Well, I wouldn't say rivalry, it's more just it's hatred. Just everybody. Everybody yeah. against Christophe Bouchou, who we're not totally convinced isn't a member of some form of like French mafia, so we can't say too much about him. Um, yeah, well, I can't argue with you here, Jamie. I mean, I, I have a deep affinity for Pippo. Really love the kid. Um, I'm very surprised to not get some sort of angry, ranting phone call from him after uh, what I wrote yesterday about Elio uh winning his first championship. And I think as we discussed on Sunday, Graham, on the show, that uh, championship suicide is a term that I never thought of before until I saw Pippo uh, just throw an entire year's work away over nothing. I mean, he wasn't taking out the seven car. That's the thing here, Jamie. This is the part that I still don't understand, and this is why I just love the, the hilarity of your question here or, or your uh, comment. The anger, the, the fight, Graham, it was between the number seven Acura Team Penske entry and the number 31 Action Express Racing entry. So number seven versus number 31. At Petit Le Mans... Whether you agree or disagree, however you want to, Pippo got out of the car and felt that he'd been savaged by Ricky Taylor in the number seven. Uh, argument ensues, a little bit of grabbing on one another. We've, been, we've heard, don't know, but heard that Ricky's teammate, Elio Castroneves, a man who uh, speaks the same tongue as Pippo, might have fired some non complimentary things at his uh, pint-sized rival and countryman. Uh, but key point here, number seven, Number 31. What happens when we get to Laguna Seca and free practice one? Well, Elio, feeling that he'd been overslowed by PIppo's teammate, Felipe Nazar in the number 31, decides to send a big message and steers right and bashes into him. Uh, controversy, anger there. They end up sorting it out, uh, calming of everything, and let's move forward. Elio, very embarrassed. There we go. Number seven, against number 31. So what happens? At Sebring with a title on the line. The number seven, frankly, up shits Creek, Graham, with an intercooler failed, failure, delaminated of all things, lost turbo boosts, Oof. lost 11 laps with it being fixed. This was in, what, like the first hour of the race? Oof. They're done. Championship's over. Not a chance. Then the number 10 car has some issues. Dixon in the aforementioned contact with the Mazda, blown tire, tears a bunch of stuff up, back to... Back paddock, they lose a bunch of laps. Holy crap. Two out of the three title contenders. Done. Hey, number 31, Action Express. It's yours. You're going to be the champs if you do nothing other than just run towards the front. And and hey, Cadillac, you're going to win a championship. Yes. And then the number six, not the seven, the six that can't win a championship. That's had the worst possible year. Well... You got Juan Montoya. He would just as soon bust you in the mouth as give you a hug. Well, guess what? He wants to win. They've had a bad year, so he's trying to win. Guess what? There's a hard pass. Made on the 31 car. Takes the lead, I'm guessing. I haven't spoken to Pippo, but he took it personally. Uh, Then what does he do? Pays him back. Not the number seven, but the number six. The one that can't win the championship. The one that is not a factor All you got to do is be up close to it. If not ahead of it, you probably could. There's plenty of time left in the race. So instead, dear Graham Goodwin, we witnessed, as did Jamie, uh, as did Jamie's daughter, watching Daddy scream at the TV. Uh, Pippo decided to attack, not the seven, not the one that had been the hardcore aggressor the last two rounds. He decided to drop justice, Cadillac justice on the number 6. And the racing god said to you, I present broken right front steering. Your championship and season is over. So, I'm just telling you Jamie, this is hilarious. Um I don't know what it's going to be like between Ricky Taylor and Pippo next year now that Ricky's going to be back at his dad's team driving an Acura still, which is great. But um, the only thing I'm disappointed by, Graham, is we won't have Elio involved, uh, at least in the same full-time basis, because I think Elio, uh, I think he might have been up for a serious, like, no, F you, no, F you. Like, Ricky's not that guy. Ricky's a sweetheart. Uh, So I don't know if we can build real rivalry there, Jamie, but if we're just talking someone to root against... To my surprise, Pippo's become that guy. All right, Graham, let's yeah. move on. Hopefully, I don't know where you're going to send us, but uh, send us somewhere.
1: It's going to be to Weck, Aslam's Elms, and Echo. I should, by the way, apologize. The uh, sound you're hearing in the background is a snoring husky. Um, quite loud, Oscar. Really. But uh, let's go to the world
0: of ACO Wheels Racing. I love it. And Oscar, not, or Oliver, whatever you do. Well, you name yourself, pup. Um, My good old blues man, Muddy Paws, right behind you. If he's snoring, try and put a harmonica in front of him. You really sound like a a blues player. Uh, We're going to kick this off. Tigera 380. Graham Goodwin, how much truth is there behind the Aston Martin leaving GTE Pro? rumors (laughs) rumors <laughs> and has the place that put that into the ether
1: been well received for that uh, no and neither were they the first person to ask the question um so uh, how much should we think, share well we're not we're not going to get into point scoring about um about who wrote what where oh no I'm talking
0: about you being hot on the trail early
1: but respectful I had a a long conversation with a very significant person in um, in that program and was told at the end of that conversation um, if you write this story which is more or less the story that's appeared elsewhere you will be wrong uh, is what it comes down to do I think the program is at risk? I think there is significant risk Um, the machinations of Aston Martin are well known uh, this shift towards uh, Formula one well known um, the uh, it would appear that there is significant commitment to GT racing whether or not that is GTE racing and whether or not um, if Aston Martin racing Pro drive um, is still in the chair in GTE Pro next season still remains to be seen uh, if if There is that prospect they would not go down um, willingly and certainly would be looking to see what they could do commercially to stay that way. It is fair to say that the timing and content of the story that appeared um, have been extremely unwelcome. And I'll add this in conversation, not with anybody else at Aston Martin, but with another significant journalist from the WEC press corps, In a conversation about that story and its value, the answer came back from the other journalist. Yes. And the same writer was writing just days previously that Ferrari wouldn't be back either. And yet, um, in the conversation I had with Roberto LaCorte from um, Settler Racing, he was delighted to be able to tell me, uh, and you'll be seeing our name not only on the car that we're entering in GTM, but as a significant sponsorship of the GT Pro efforts in WEC. Um, the news marketplace is a difficult one to navigate, and in particular at the moment when pretty clearly every factory, every organization is having to look carefully. We've had a lot of this in the conversation about IMSA. Um, I am not now, and I hope never will be, someone that uh, decides that they're going to put in something speculative to get 50 clicks It's a straight answer. Um, I'm unimpressed with that story. I'm unimpressed with the fact that it was clearly done from distance. I'm unimpressed that at the moment there is no news, whether or not it is proven to be the case, to be blunt. Uh, I'm not one of those ones that will just slap, uh, slap myself on the back for what a great job I've done for speculating in one direction. Um, it's... <sighs> I sincerely hope that whatever is going on at Aston Martin and at Aston Martin Racing, two completely separate entities, means that we do still see a GTE Pro effort with a Vantage uh, GTE next season. Let's not forget the World Championship-winning Aston Martin Racing uh, effort in both the teams, sorry, the manufacturers and the drivers' uh, championship. And classy timing, um, writer of that story, the day after they won that World Championship. Um, no one was competing with you for that story. You know, just show bit to class and wait for 24 hours before you crap on their efforts to be blunt. Um, that's not me being, um, you know, uh, acid because I didn't get the story. I had the story. You did. I chose,
0: not, I chose not to
1: run it, chose to, to not to run the story because I've been assured by the person that can answer that question. It wasn't true. Um, Whether or not it becomes true, whether or not it is an option that's on the table is an entirely different question. But I do grow tired of stories that talk in speculative terms about it might be this and it might be that and it might be the other. Then triumphalism a bit further down the line if we got it first. (sighs) Come on, grow up, man. Uh, Let's move forward uh, with the FIWC, which I believe, by the way, has got a pretty healthy grid coming uh, in 2021 that's not being an excuse nick for it it's got its challenges too but i believe they are going to be pretty close to what they would regard as full uh, something in the the early 30s across their uh, four classes gte pro gte am lmp2 which as you'll have seen on daily sports car this week is looking pretty healthy i heard about another team that are heading that way um uh, today uh, so i think we're looking at around double figures in lmp2 and obviously the new hypercar uh, um, catch-all class, which I know we've got further questions about MP. Sorry if that sounds a little bit like it's sour grapes. It's not. It's just irritation. It's irritation that really, right now, I think we need to be a little bit more respectful of team and factory efforts in these very challenging times to get deals across the line and to give them a little bit of space to celebrate some good news without basically deciding that you're going to be the one that's going to be, you know, cheering for potential bad news to come.
0: There we go. All right, where are we going next? In our WEC questiones, Daniel Summerskill, Ooh. first time. Mm-hmm. Hey, Daniel, welcome to the show. Hope, uh, hope you enjoy what you get here. It's mostly crap, and the crap that is mostly comes from me. But, hey, Graham Goodwin, not too bad. Uh, he says, with Toyota Gazoo Racing, Ooh. stating... But there will be more news about Hypercar on the 11th of January. Are there any updates on, say, the Glickenhaus or Bicolas efforts? Things seem very quiet on that front. Maybe too quiet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, so yes, I think we'll start to get some um, significantly more information in the new year from Tote Kazoo Racing. Baikalis by, uh, by will come to shortly. Glickenhaus, keep an eye on uh, the Scuderia Cameron Gl- Glickenhaus social media Channels Jim and Jesse uh, Glickenhaus not backwards in coming forwards when they've got things to say and uh, progress to show and there's plenty of you know pretty good stuff kicking around there about the variety of things that are progressing to do with their aero package etc cetera, etc cetera. so everything I've been told by uh, people within that squad is positive uh, they are talking about two cars for uh, only three races of the season for Sebring Spa and Le Mans. Um, they've even talked about the potential for a further customer car not sure I see that as being quite that positive but then I'm not the one um, with Jim Glickenhaus's phone number I I mean I have got his phone number but I'm not the one answering his phone Um, so we'll I'm pretty hopeful that we're going to see that car out and reasonably competitive, Uh, hope everything is as positive as I'm hearing from people within that squad by Collis Never really a team that um, tends to kind of come out and tell us what's going on. The, the latest uh, version of the, the visuals we've seen of that car, I have to say, looks like a sort of rebodied LMP1 car. If you ask me, um, have had confirmation that it is with the Gibson uh, V8, and I would presume in slightly dumbed down 4.5-liter version of that car, but didn't look to me like the program would be all that complex to deliver so my guess is since we're talking about march before these cars race they've got a fair amount of time to turn that work around before we get to the uh thousand miles of sebring wow uh
0: you know we got a lot of questions here to choose from would you like me to pick some that pique my interest, yeah, or do you want to so. No, you, you okay.
1: p- uh, pick a couple, and, um, and we'll see what we can come out with.
0: Let's see. Why don't we go with Stuart Hart says, "With the news hey, of sure. S- settle our racing, um, are sponsoring the factory 488s in WC, could we see a transition in privately run and slash funded pro cars? Same with Aston and Porsche." Says GTE does need another option. Maybe easier to track one if, uh, if the Pro Am are both customer focused. It is an interesting thing. It's not like yep. uh, call it GT, the traditional GTE Am model couldn't run in GTE Pro. Just hasn't been too much of an option that's been taken. So, this, this is, as Stuart rightly points out, Graham, it's an interesting twist uh, on what yeah. has been the theme.
1: Yes and no. I mean, you know, if you look at the uh, it, it's often the case, isn't it? When you've got cars that come out year after year after year, you don't necessarily always notice what's on that car in terms of the the names and the, the brands. S&P Bank has been on those cars for a couple of years now. So they're not running without commercial sponsorship. And there's all sorts of ways and means in which that is delivered. It's great. The Settler Racing are, uh, you know, incredibly proud Italians. And great that they're getting behind that program. And if that's made the difference uh, to get that program over the line, then that's absolutely excellent news. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, there's never been a tougher time, though, Marshall, to get commercial sponsorship for anything other than companies surviving this damn nightmare that we're all suffering in 2020. Uh, so in insofar as, you know, what Roberto confirmed to me at Bahrain, that is enormously good news. Delighted, by the way, that... Uh, U.S. fans are going to get to see um, the uh, Delora uh, in the 24 hours at uh, Daytona, the Rolex 24. They'll be the, the final appearance for that car. Will be uh, around the banking at Daytona. And I think that is the first time we've had a Dolara LMP2 in the race. Yes,
0: isn't it? yeah, or just in Amer- racing here in the U.S. Wow. Yeah, I mean there've been uh, flirtations, I think, at Petit. Um, over the last couple of years, but they've never come through to my knowledge.
1: Well, there you go. So, yeah, uh, I think it's very good news. I think anybody that's putting money into motorsport in any regard at the moment is something to be celebrated and congratulated. And Stuart, very pleased indeed that you spotted um, that investment's being made by those very proud Italians. What's next, MP?
0: We are going to Jacob Bain. Mm. Hey, here we go. What are the chances of the ACO implementing the grid size dependent number number of Lamar auto invites in LMP three. And I just want to congratulate Jacob on being our weekly champion for the most earmuffs, the most obscure shit possible. I do this for a living, Jacob. I get paid for it. There are people who believe I possess the knowledge and creativity to think of very unique things to do my job. I could never in a million lifetimes come up with this question. So, okay. And each week, you are so de- – and I'm having a little bit of fun, but I'm serious too. Your brain runs so deep on <laughs> uh, whatever is smaller than minutia. that's where you live, Jacob, and that's why I appreciate you. So uh, back to the question. Uh, I I, I thank God he asked you, man, because I'd have nothing for him.
1: I know know, know what he's talking about. So basically this is the shift, particularly in ELMS, uh, but it's going to be implemented in Asia Le Mans series as well, where the number of automatic entries that you receive for success in a particular series are determined by the number of full season entries in that class. So, for instance, uh, with the 15 cars we had, full season in LMP2, that means that it would be two auto entries from LMP2 to the first two cars in that class. Had we reached 18, it would have been three. Um, so what are the chances? And by the way, similar thing, but different numbers apply in the GTE class as well. So two entries from LMS there as well. Um, LMP3 is different. Um, it's an aspect, if you like, It's it's a developmental class. The answer is that will not be implemented in that class. And um, I see signs that the ACO are kind of ramping back a little on auto entries, just a little. Where is that most obvious? Most obvious with the coming LMP2 AM, or as they term it, LMP2 Pro AM, which is a surprise to me that that's what they're calling it, since it is a Pro AM formula in the first place. This is where there would be a um, mandatory bronze driver in the, in the squad and i've had confirmed that they will not be offering a uh, uh auto entry for that subclass, uh and the just the justification for it was a bit of an odd one it was the withdrawal of that uh, lmp 2 AM uh, auto entry from the Asia le mans series as they're not going to affect that they're not going to do it in europe either i think that's a mistake i think there is a real um marketing opportunity for the aco Uh, in LMP2 to bronze drivers with LMP2 Pro-Am, as they term it. Um, There are those that would agree with me that that's the case. I think that's a mistake, and I think that's not going to be a positive in pushing developments of that uh, that angle. So the answer on LMP3 is no, I don't expect to see a change there. I don't expect we're going to see it coming to Le Mans Cup either, where effectively the winner at Le Mans Cup is guaranteed. They will be able to step up to the ELMS, uh, for the last four years it's been the same team dkr engineering uh but i think we will see that remaining is a single entry for lmp3 despite the fact we do expect more um teams to be into that class in 2021 i'd expect it to go from something like 12 to maybe uh, 14 or 15 with a maybe a broadly speaking the same kind of number 15 or so maybe a few more in LMP2. ALMS looking like it's going to be very healthy again in 2021. Stay with
0: Jacob, who has sent in almost a full page of questions. Ooh. Yes. So as I mentioned in the last episode, we just might, Jacob, if you compile all the ones we didn't get to do a dedicated episode just for you. Um, <laughs> it says, where is the ACO currently? I'm picking Gerard Naveau's replacement Ooh. as CEO of the
1: Weckety Weck. Uh the answer is nobody well I say nobody knows, one person knows, and that's Pierre Fillon, uh the ACO president. It's a very interesting question and it's gone very quiet. Uh we discussed this on the show what feels like a couple of months ago now. All indications are, all indications are that Pierre Fillon is going to take a much more frontline role in the WEC uh moving forward. Uh, Some of that may be because that's what he wants to do. Some of that may be because the economic situation at the moment means, as with every other organization, NIMS has not uh, not escaped this, is the reality is there are going to be fewer people working for that organization, rather sadly, and some of those people have already um, uh, responded positively to a voluntary redundancy program. Quite how that affects the setup with ACO and LMEM, LMEM is... uh, a partnership between ACO and FIA, uh, based in Paris, but with offices in, um, in Le Mans. I don't know, is the straight answer, whether or not there will be some kind of restructuring of the, uh, the ladder um, organisation. I don't know. Uh, every sign would appear to be at the moment that we should expect to be underwhelmed in terms of the, the scale of change at the top. If I had to be a betting man, I would say this is the wrong moment for the ACO slash LMEM to be bringing in a big name on a big salary at the point at which uh, you are letting other people go. So my guess is we're not going to see a huge amount of change. Um, It may well be that uh, they're going to be leaning harder on some of their senior people within the organisation right now. Um, I think there's some smart things they could do. With the organisation, I think uh, there are things that need to be improved with the organisation. Shouldn't let it go. By the way, uh, before I say this, uh, Gerard Naveau has been very good to me in my career. I, you know, I worked directly to LMEM for my role within WCTV, and uh, you know, I'm great, grateful, uh, great, uh, leave for that chance and that continued chance. Um, it's been a hell of a ride for IBM from 2012 and onwards. Uh, some very good things have happened. Some things that I think could have been done better have happened through that period. But no doubt, uh, I think Gerard is not unhappy to go at this stage. Uh, don't know what he's going off to do. Um, hope it brings him happiness. I think he's probably done enough trotting to last him a lifetime in the last decade. Also, stepping down... Uh, the end of the Bahrain race meeting. F- Fee Miller, Fiona Miller, the uh, Director of Communications, Head of Communications at the FIWC. It was great to see them both recognise, both waving the green flags to start the race. Gerard and I also waved the chequered flag at the end of the race. Um, they'll both be missed. Fee Miller, one of the, uh, the doyens of the PR press room, and um, she'll be missed in her role, uh, not just as the consummate PR professional that she's been throughout my entire time um, as a working uh, racing journalist, um, but also for the human factor. Uh, Mama Miller, she was known as uh, in all my time, and that means something. It means that um, whenever there was some kind of, you know, uh, individual woe uh, that, you know, you need perhaps needed a bit of support for individually, Fee was... Always a great shoulder that's almost literally cry on. And she's going to be missed too. So it's going to be a very different look and feel, I'm sure, to the WEC in 2021. Uh, I'm anxious to hear what's going to happen in terms of who we're going to get and what we're going to get to work forward with. And that, of course, includes as well the European Le Mans series, LMEM. Look after that. And there's another thing, by the way, Girard and his team deserve a huge amount of credit for. That was on its arse in 2012. And now look where we are. They'll be turning cars away for sure again in 2021. Um, and then the Asia Le series uh, with a different organization, LMAM Asia, on the Sewell Watch for what's coming there uh, in terms of the quality and depth of the grid that might well be coming together for Asia. I think that's going to turn a few heads as well, as well as other parts of the package.
0: One to close here. I love the beautiful mind connection of strands. This comes from Joshua Johnson says, if Aston does pull out of the WEC, would Porsche Graham reconsider their GTE pro entries and bring them back to IMSA to compete with Corvette, a possible Ferrari GTE effort and the BMWs in the Michelin endurance cup?
1: No. No. I think is the answer. And the main reason behind this, and you'll know a bit more than I do, is the funding structure. The EMSA uh, programme is, I think I'm right, Porsche North America. Correct. Whereas the WC programme is Porsche corporately from their German base. So I think the answer there is is this. Let, let, let's say Aston Martin does not um, enter two cars for a full season in 2021. Still leaves you with Porsche versus Ferrari. That's not a bad contest if you've got our four cars, uh, two Porsches, two Ferraris, and a bit of nickel. And I think there's going to be some changes afoot there too. We already know there's going to be the likelihood of changes in driver lineups for one of those factories. It may well be that we're going to see that in both. Um, There's a degree of hashtag wait and see. GT racing is absolutely in a period of some flux at the moment for all sorts of reasons. The uh, incoming LMDH and hypercar uh, options, uh, very live at the moment, the very challenging economic um, uh, position at the moment for all of the OEMs. And, you know, beyond that, the fact that we've got a bit of a flux in terms of the the budgets for the good, actually, in terms of the, uh, the, the WEC side of things, budgets will be less in 2021 with just a six race calendar. Um, not so much less with him. So we're still 12. Am I right? Still 12 rounds there.
0: Yeah. And no, um, they pick and choose, but each class has a different number of races. But go. yeah, it's 12 total but, rounds.
1: Yeah. So, so the the answer is I don't expect to see that, um, brought forward as an option for those structural reasons. Um, but I'm not counting my chickens as to what we're going to see in either class, GTLM or GT pro quite yet. There is a lot going on in the background. Um, Read in some depth, forget the clickbait, read in some depth as to what's going on here, and let's hope that some people are working very hard indeed, can get some really interesting programs underway. Is it fair to say, Marshall, on both sides of the Atlantic?
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say so, um, okay. for sure. Well, uh, we normally have four categories to get to, Graham, but I think with uh, more in one and very few in the other Maybe we just combine those two and move on okay. to the final?
1: Let's do that thing. Um, and it's uh, general and fun together, then.
0: And I'm, um, we're going to stay on a theme you were just on, and I'm going to throw one more at you. Um, person who would be best described as a guy in a grumpy bear suit mm-hmm. asks a question. What, in your opinion, Graham, not another person's opinion, your opinion... Yep. is the biggest obstacle to gt convergence is it technical regulations factory versus customer racing philosophy sunk costs from teams having 10 plus gte chassis or good old-fashioned french french arrogance and ego oh we even get it's not racist it's countryist but uh oh there we go
1: i don't think it's the latter I, I genuinely don't. I think what it comes down to is, look, if the factories didn't want to be there, they wouldn't be there. And that will make that determination. If you remember the conversations that we've had on the show that both you and I've had with John Doonan, that I've had with Pierre Fion and with Sherrod Nevo, there's been a common theme through convergence principally to do with the prototype side of things. But the same really applies to, um, to GT as well. And that phrase is, the market will decide. The market will decide whether or not GTLM and GTE Pro is going to be sustainable. We may or may not, coming into 2021, get to that tipping point. For my money at the moment, it looks closer to that tipping point in North America than it is in Europe and on the global scene. But there's not a lot in it. Um, We've talked since, you know, COVID became a thing that there will be some casualties beyond the terrible, awful human toll um, of casualties for COVID-19. That there will be industrial, economic, sporting casualties to a bloody virus. And it may be, ultimately, that GTE Pro is one of those casualties. It may be that this is the tipping point that makes the difference. Um, that, that you know means that what looked an astonishingly healthy category with... Was it 17 cars at the Mon two years ago, three years ago? You know, it may well be that we're actually looking to our laurels and thinking, is this sustainable? I don't know. Yeah, it's the straight answer. And here's the news, ladies and gentlemen. Some people even involved in running those programmes, funding those programmes, they don't know either quite yet. Um, there are an awful lot of things that are going right down to the wire right now. Um, And I don't just mean one or two programmes, I mean three or four programmes and not just in GTE Pro, but all over the world in all sorts of uh, places. We wish they weren't at the moment. Will LMDH programmes that were a more or less sure thing still be a sure now? No, they won't. But there might be others that do come forward where that proves to be a better proposition for where they want to spend their marketing dollars and euros and pounds. Um, than they were a year ago. Maybe they were looking to do even more expensive things with them. And all of a sudden, this provides a better bang for the buck. Um, Lots and lots is up in the air at the moment. And there's going to be some real surprises, some bad surprises and some good surprises. Honestly, guys and girls, buckle up because it's going to be a bumpy ride. But we're going to come through this. And I think what we're going to see, MP, is things being... Probably more healthy than we thought they might be if you judged it on what was happening three, four months ago.
0: There we go. Uh Let's see. Where shall I take us? Uh Well, this has an all-caps lead-in <laughs> by our man Ryan Kish from com, who puts together these questions. What did he say? I like this question, all caps, and then put his name next to it so we knew it was him compared to someone else randomly putting in the question here. Uh, This comes from Ryan Cumberford. Hey, Ryan. Says, hey, gents, regarding GTE, GTLM and its impending doom, to keep my question as simple as possible, why are factories pulling out or reducing their efforts while we're seeing almost no reduction in amateur slash customer teams?
1: Well, not quite, I would, not quite true. But, yeah. But we'll come back to that bit.
0: Yeah. I'd just say that the overriding thing here, Mr. Comerford, is the difference between giant billion dollar companies being hard hit by COVID slash shutdown slash recession, vehicle sales, uh, just all the things that we all know and have known, and them having to make radical changes, some of them out of necessity. I think it'd be fair to say financial necessity. Mm -hmm. Some of them more for image. Don't want to be seen having to lay off people, factory workers, delay productions, uh, downsize of number of dealerships and so on while spending money playing race car. Uh, so twofold issue here. One real hardcore financial reasons. Also one based on image when others are suffering, just as we've heard from a number of teams. Granted, uh, you mentioned not seeing so much of that in AM and whatnot. Yeah, not not so true. I'm just thinking of Imsen GTD, for example, uh, the FAF Motorsports team, right? Now, granted, they all, they're powered by dealerships too, but uh, they took a step back. They could afford to run. That wasn't the problem. It was, hey, we need to be cognizant of the times, and we sure aren't going to be out playing and having fun while. Uh, our employees are potentially being furloughed or or otherwise or just the folks who have built a repu- built a relationship with us um might look at us as being a little bit cold or uh a little bit too free with yeah this is what's important to us so we're going to go play while you might be suffering um we know that the Paul Miller racing team right uh they had a pretty darn good open to the season there uh would certainly be one that was vying for a championship had they done the full calendar they deal they have dealerships as well which help pay for things but this was yet another identical case graham and ryan of nope we're not going to be out playing around spending millions to do racy car stuff when we've got a lot of people who aren't working right now for us and others so um there are certainly and, and there are more examples that we can present but this is certainly something that is Uh, also been felt on the AM and customer side, just maybe not as severely or high profile as big factories and such because those big factories, yeah, it's it's just a much different scenario. The last little thing I'll sprinkle in here, keeping in mind that in many instances on the AM customer side that there are wealthy-ish individuals or those, whether they have personal wealth or have money handed to them, To compete, Um, there's always a lot of wealthy people who in recessions don't pull back or change their habits and they keep racing and keep spending that money because they have so much of it to spend and no one really to answer to other than Graham, I don't know, a husband, a wife, a financial planner. But yeah, uh, thankfully the folks who are successful in life, be it through business achievements or Birth achievements and their family has a lot of it. Uh, they're the folks that tend to keep the sport uh, moving forward when factories and whatnot say, hey, we need to step out for a little while because the timing is wrong for us to do this.
1: And, um, you know, here's, here's the news uh, wh- whether or not you look to those people with operational or resentment, they are keeping that industry live. They are keeping a lot of people in employment right now just when we need it. So, uh, more power to them, I say. Let's uh, have a look. Quick, this uh, one from Jamie O'Leary. Is that the Jamie O'Leary? Who is Jamie O'Leary? Graham Goodwin. Who is Jamie O'Leary? Jamie, um, now a very good PR man, looks after a whole range of um, products worldwide, including, uh, I think, Honda, uh, pretty globally outside of, the, certainly globally outside of the US. Um, but ex-auto sport journalist, I think that's the Jamie. If that is you, Jamie, hello. Uh, why Jamie are you says, selling
0: your reputation by writing into the show, by the way, Jamie? we got questions here. <laughs> Come on, buddy.
1: Why Why are G-Drive racing so fond of switching their support from team to team? Granted, it seems to have been a successful strategy, but if you do well together, where? why partner with someone else? TDS, Jota, Dragon Speed, and he says, now according to my story last week, uh, I'll go pro racing. It's a lot, he says. Hashtag me personally. Uh, it's a couple of you've forgotten, I think. Certainly graph. Uh, I've run a G-Drive car before now, and Oak Racing as well ran with WEC. So you're right, it's generally tended to move around. Two factors. Um, we hear a lot uh, from one particular person on the planet, I'm not going to bother to name, um, about his deal-making prowess. Um, there's another one, Roman Rusinov, who is the man behind G-Drive Racing. Um, G-Drive, by the way, is a brand of Russian fuel station, part of the Gazprom empire, and uh, a senior member of their marketing staff uh, management group is one Mr. R. Rusinov. Um, And Roman, it is, that controls that um, budget that he has to negotiate every year with Gazprom.
0: When he isn't wiping off windshields uh, (laughs) and putting (laughs) gas in your tank, Roman's not a bad race car driver negotiator. Check,
1: Check. Check out the back uh, pocket of his race suit. Always a riot, yep, there. He can, red rag. Yeah, red rag. Yep. We, as we used to
0: know him as, as Red Roman Rusinov. No, wait a Absolutely. minute. I think that has different implications. We'll, we'll, we'll back that one out.
1: Also, by the way, also has the key to the washroom. Always has the key to the, <sighs> the washroom. There you go. But uh, Roman is what it comes down to. Now, Roman um, Rapid has been Rapid for an awfully long time. Um Pretty certain he's you know, long lived in the um, in the sports car racing world. Something like two decades of action now for Roman, um, a fierce deal maker. Um, how can I put this? At times, can be quite a challenging personality. Uh, if you get on well with Roman, he is just the loveliest man alive. If you don't, it's probably a bad day at the office, and sometimes if the, the results don't come then things move forward uh, tds racing i think i'm right this would have been the third season with g drive um i'm pretty certain they won the title in the first season but have not won since and he's decided it's time to move on so algar pro it will be uh for um uh, the 2021 european Mans series should say, by the way, not the first time they've worked together. They worked together with the Asia Le Mans series uh, last season, 2019-2020, and won the title. Guess what's happened? That's where Roman's decided he's going to take his uh, budget for the coming season. So is it a mark of uh, anything other than deal-making? I think it's exactly that. I think they're, they're going and making a deal where they believe they can get the best value. It is not... Uh, a blank check, I can tell you that. So I have a vague idea of what the budget is that Roman has to bring to bear, um, but it's a telling budget. It's a budget that uh, a team can put a program together around, and he's taken it to Sam and Stuart Cox um, along not part of the deal, but um, you know, uh, the talents of David Leach, the race engineer, uh, last couple of seasons with TDS on the um, G-Drive Racing side of things. He has now already moved to Pro Racing and is in situ. And they are testing, as is usually their want, um, a range of potential drivers to partner with Roman for the LMS where they will try and do battle for the title again. That's that story.
0: So we set aside about an hour and a half, my friend. We are yeah. kind of sort of there. So why don't we pick one or two to blast through, and then say farewell for this week. As always, if we didn't get to your question, please send it again if you wanted to answer. Dan Rice, okay. you sent one in again about Ferrari GT3 yeah. GTE conversion. Graham, what would you know about that?
1: Uh, well, the, the, the two cars at the moment that are convertible from GTE to GT3 and or back again are the Ferrari 488 GT3 and the... Uh, the Aston Martin Vantage GTE slash GT3. Both of those require an exchange of engine. Um, The Vantage certainly requires a change of fuel tank as well uh, to comply with the regulations. Um, And there's an electronics thing as well, because pretty obviously there are certain electronic systems, including APS, that you can have on uh, a GT3 car that you can't have on a GTE car. There's also error differences between the two. I've got a feeling, I might be wrong with this one, but I'm going to say it out loud anyway, I think every body panel, with the exception of the roof, on the Aston Martin needs to be changed as well. But uh, as famously relayed to me by um, John Gore at Aston Martin Racing at ProDrive, um, the first time they did it, they did it from a test car. that was a GT car to a GT3 spec car that went off and put it on pole at the Nürburgring in the development period of that car, five men, five hours. That was what was required to make that change. Pretty clearly, they're five very well-trained Aston Martin racing mechanics, but it can be done remarkably quickly. I have seen it done in a single day um, at the end of season test at Portimao two years ago.
0: Uh, Let's see. I'm going to grab one more here. Uh, Scott Bell, throw this one at you as well, asks, how long has the gold, silver, bronze, platinum, lead system been around? Mm. Says, I imagine nobody was asking A.J. Foyt if he had enough points to drive whatever car he brought to the track. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and then he said, also of some note, uh, some article I read mentioned that prior to the 2020 season, uh, NASCAR star Martin Truex Jr., was only two points shy of a Formula 1 Super License. So. Well,
1: he, he was lucky, lucky to miss out there then, wasn't he? Um, I think this, wasn't this something like 2012, 2011, 2012? It's Sounds about a decade about old now. right, yeah. Uh, it certainly, I can remember the at the the birth of the WEC this being quite a new thing. And it came in initially because, I, I, I'm trying to read, it would have been about that time. I can remember sitting in the paddock with, at uh, Bahrain, oddly enough, with uh, David Heimer-Hansen, this would have been about 2013, 2014, where David was uh, offering the view, the mistake that had been made is that uh, it was the decision to effectively guarantee, in his words, people like me, in other words, talented people with a budget, gentlemen drivers that, you know, wanted to come and race um, worldwide, uh, that that No one to that point in racing history had guaranteed gentlemen drivers the opportunity to compete for a title. They could go in and do, you know, have their their enjoyment racing, and maybe on a good day and the circumstances fell their way to um, to even win a race or to finish on a podium in a race. But in this case, with the driver ranking system, it was the first point at which pro am racing had been engineered to give that opportunity um, with particularly bronze and silver drivers effectively having some degree of equalization clearly didn't work out quite that way and you know from year i'd say year one um, that's you know that was already to the point where that was causing friction i can remember in year one of this so it would be pretty easy to actually work it out my guess is 2013 alex brundle was one of the silver drivers that was causing people some concern, and down through the years, there's been others uh, that, that that person shouldn't be a silver, that person should be gold, blah blah blah. Insert name of supremely talented driver that's managed to, you know, negotiate their way into a silver ranking. So it would have been about that time, 2012, 2013, um, up to be corrected. But it's about that point, and it was simply that it was to get to the stage where in international racing, pro am was being incentivized. There was a business case behind Pro-Am, and if you're going to get a business case behind it, I'm afraid in this day and age, turning up isn't enough. People wanted to be competitive in that class.
0: All right. Going to take two here and then say goodbye. Jerry Suddath, by the way, your question about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, please send that one back in again, brother. I'd love it. Um, Right-turn lover, having not listened to last week's The Week in Sports Cars yet, I'd like to invite both MP and GG to feel insulted on the omission of the Arctic Velvet story, which he happened to send through it? more than once. How would you like to respond, Graham? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, took a left turn there, sucker. You never expected. Uh, let's see. We're going to close with a little bit of, yeah, from Jose Tapia. Thank you, Jose. WEC question for you here from like four months ago. Look at that. I mean, that's a real good callback. Hey, idiots, taking four months to get here. Is Louise Beckett's the same Beckett's as the corner Beckett's in Silverstone?
1: I have absolutely no idea, but I will say this. If you're listening, Lou, congratulations. Lou gave birth to little Pearl, um... It's the name of the baby, by the way, not, not some kind of freakish oyster incident. Um, but uh, so Louise is a mum, and that's the happiest news. We had uh, two lots of happy news with Trevor Gola's news earlier in the show. But uh, that's why Lou has not been with us in, on the WC for uh, some months and uh, for the happiest reason possible. But I have no idea. Never asked Lou that, but... Um, be keen to find out what the answer is it would be sort of unusual wouldn't it but uh, i we'll don't just know say the, yes uh, yes it's, it's it's named after we, louise in fact it's named after baby pearl
0: there it's we go we baby should pearl. also say congratulations to brand new imsa Milan Milan sure michelin pilot challenge tcr champion gabby chavez Earned Ooh. that title on Friday, and I believe Sunday his wife gave birth to their oh, very wow. first child, a daughter as well. So, Graham Rahal, frequent sports car participant, uh, IndyCar driver as well. Uh, his wife, the delightful Mrs. Courtney Force, gave birth to their daughter uh, two-ish, two and a half weeks ago. So, um, I th- what we're in... I'm trying to think, Graham... We're in the middle of November. Uh, we started hearing about COVID. What February ish yeah. and shutdown doesn't com- quite work, yeah. does it? Doesn't quite work. Yeah. I thought we might have had something there. COVID no. babies. No, they weren't as a result no, of. The, but
1: you watch, you watch. When we get we get into kind of the new year, you just watch. We're gonna be. It's gonna be every other week. It's uh, yeah, but it's great to get some good news uh, after a year that's not had a lot of it. Um, I think that's us done, isn't it?
0: Take us home, my friend.
1: I most certainly will. So congratulations to all you you brand new mums, dads, and the lovely, lovely, lovely little additions to our sports car racing family. Uh for now, at the end of this edition of the Weekend Sports Cars on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, after a week that's seen records broken by Marshall and his podcast output. Congratulations again to you, pal. We're going to say thank you to Cooper Tyres. Thank you to the Justice Brothers. Thank you to Bell Helmets USA and to the TorontoMotorsport.com guys. I've been Graham Goodwin. He, on the other side of the the, uh, pond, has been Marshall Pruitt. We will see you next week.